to you this week, well, how are you doing? I'm hunky-dory. And they'll look at you like you're crazy. That's okay. You are crazy. Come on, crazy about Jesus. Do I hear an amen? But there's times when we're energized. There's fully, we're just full and we're blessed and we're happy. And there's good times that, that we come and we're able to give to God our praise and our service and our lives. But here's the conclusion to my thought this morning. And that is this. Church must be about giving as well as receiving. Don't just make it one-dimensional in your life. No matter what, come ready to give, and I'll give you scriptural reason for that. Look at this, Luke 6, verse 8. God says, give and it will be. What happens if I don't give? Hey, it's not perhaps going to be given back to me, but God says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will it be put into your bosom. In other words, as I give... It creates an opportunity for God to give back, for me to receive from God. So is that okay? So come to give. You may be tired. You may be torn down. But come on, when it's your time to get in praise and worship, just give God the glory and the honor. When the word's been preached, come on, encourage pastor. Give into that. Sow into those things. Why? Because I'm telling you, God's going to bless you. Is that okay? Just a little bonus for you there today. That was, that was free of charge. So when you come to church, come ready to give and bring your tithes and offerings. So get ready to give to God. Amen. You know, as I emailed my notes to Tammy on Thursday, Tammy had replied back to me and she said, Pastor P, is this still on the same theme as what's your response? And to be honest with you, I hadn't really thought about it, but I had to email her back and said, Tammy, it really is. Because we're dealing once again with an encouraging word to build every one of you up. Because I believe our response to circumstances and the details of life is so important. Our response can either put us in bondage or our response can bring us to a place of liberty. And how many knows that your response is not just on a Monday, it has to be maybe 20 times on a Monday, 20 times on a Tuesday, 59 times on a Wednesday, come on, 122 times on a Thursday. Come on, the enemy's coming at us hard every second of every moment of every day. But I really feel the need once again to give you a word of encouragement this morning, to remind you of God's word for your life, a word that promises to never return void. That's an incredible promise from God's word. That means that when we speak the word, it will never return void. We may not see immediate results, but if God says it shall never return void, you better believe it's going to accomplish what it was sent out to do. We're going to do something this morning as I preach. The title of my message is this morning, No More. 
no more. No more. And every time I say the words, no more, I want you to say these words and echo it back to me. Enough is enough. Okay? Can we say that? So as I say, no more. Enough is enough. Satan, you've messed with us for long enough. And a lot of the fault, I believe, is because we've allowed him to. We like to blame the devil for everything, but we have allowed him to. If we're going to be honest today, it, the devil doesn't have to work much overtime. He doesn't have to work really hard. Why? Because most of the time, he just makes a suggestion and then we run with it. We're the ones that cause so many of the problems. So how do you make a mountain out of a molehill? We all know this, don't we? You keep adding on the dirt. You keep putting on the dirt. And we have piled so much dirt on our lives, but we've got to come to that place where we say, devil, no more. We've got to come to that place where we say, devil, you've messed with me long enough. No more. For the sake of time and the intention as I sat down to prepare this message, I had a thought of a scripture that came in and it's a really neat story. And I kept trying to skirt around it and thought, God, I want to jump to something else. But God says, no, hold on a second. I think there is something that you need to discover in this. So we're going to read a quick story, if I would, out of 2 Samuel chapter 23. And as I, was, as I said, I was trying to avoid this story, but I realized that God wanted it in this message today. So therefore, it's in this message for someone today. It's in this message perhaps for you today. Someone obviously needs to hear it. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, in the first part of that chapter... It reads of David's last words, his last words to the people. Then it goes on to list the mighty men that served under David. It talks about their achievements. It talks about their exploits and what they did. But I want to look at one particular person, if I would, listed amongst the mighty men of David. He's Shammah. He's actually one of the elite three. There was three top guys that were under David, and Shammah is one of the elite three. So read with me, if you would, 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 11. And it says these words, after him, which was Eliezer. Okay, that was what he's talking about. Eliezer was, was the one. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Haratite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. If you want a modern day equivalent of what's taken place here, rent the movie Bugs Life. Okay, that's the grasshoppers and the ants that every year the grasshoppers would come and they would steal away the harvest from the ants. If you're looking at me crazy, you've never seen it. It's got biblical reference to it. So there you go. But somehow this day was going to be a different day. The outcome of this day was going to be altered. Notice what I said. The outcome of this day was going to be altered. What Satan intended to be for that day was going to be altered in midstream. The enemy somehow was not going to be victorious this time. It was the beginning of a new day. Let's read on what happened. And it says in verse 12, But he, Shammah, stationed himself 
in the middle of the field. And he said these words, no more. The Bible says that as he stationed himself, he defended that land and he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Outnumbered, probably afraid, even though he was mighty, I'm sure he was still afraid. Fearing perhaps the worst, despite it all, he took a stand in the middle of a pea patch. And God, say that with me, and God, and God brought about a great victory. All that was needed that day was for one person to make a stand. All that was needed that day was for one person to begin to realize this is not the promise that God intended. This is not the way I'm supposed to live as a child of God. Come on, being in need constantly, living in fear of every circumstance and situation, constantly seeming to be on the run, never seeing any breakthroughs, never seeing success in life. One day this man said, enough is enough. He said, this is not what God, this is not living. There has to be something more. And he came to this conclusion. What have I got to lose? Can I tell you something today? We need to get to that place where we're mad enough at the enemy, where our backs are maybe pushed back so much to the wall that there's an indention of us into the wall. But we need to get to that place and say, what have I got to lose? There's got to be something to gain. What did he have to lose that day? His life? Yes. But what did he have to gain? An incredible victory that the enemy, yes, they may come back next year, but can I tell you something? They probably avoided that pea patch next year. Watch out, that terror's probably there. Come on. Yes, the enemy may still come back against us, but you know what? We've got everything to gain in God. Come on, hello. Let me say that one more time. Come on, we've got everything to gain. No more. Just took one. This weekend, or this week rather, we are celebrating Thanksgiving time or Thanksgiving Day, which unfortunately seems to have become more of an excuse for people to overeat and spend money instead of remembering really what it was all about and its origin. And I don't know about you, but I have to be the first to throw both hands in the air and say, I've got so much to thank God for. So much to thank God for. I woke up this morning, that's a blessing in itself. When I woke up this morning, I was in a bed with a roof over my head beside an incredible young lady who we celebrated our anniversary yesterday. Come on. Woo! Fantastic. You know when I know how we celebrated our anniversary? Doing work in the garden all day. How incredible is that? Pastor P, you are so romantic. But the list can go on and on in the blessings that every one of us has. Oh, there's always something more that we could have. There's always something perhaps that we could desire more than what... But you know what? I thank God for what I've got, not what I deserve. Because there's so much things that I deserve in life. But I'm going to be thankful for that which I do have. 
So we've got so much to be thankful for. And I want that to ring through your heart and mind this week as you're preparing for Thanksgiving and cooking the turkey and the hams and whatever you're doing. I think we've got seafood gumbo that we're doing on and just some stuff like that and roast beef and all that kind of really nice stuff. So there are so many things, but this week, be thankful of the fact that God has blessed your life. As I began to research and study, I realized that there are some different thoughts on really when Thanksgiving Day really started. But through my research, I found that most agreed that it was in 1621. During this time, the pilgrims, along with the local Native Americans, the Indians, had taken time out to be thankful for God. They were given thanks for a successful harvest that had taken place their first year in America that they had planted and they had seen a harvest that had come back. But they were also thankful for the fact of the opportunities of a new life and a new land that they found themselves in. God had helped them to survive. I know you all know your history better than I do. But as I began to look through the history of Thanksgiving, there was a group of people that were the main focus. And I want to talk this morning quickly, if I may, about the pilgrims. The pilgrims. The dictionary definition of a pilgrim is a person on a journey, a traveler, or a wanderer. They were called pilgrims because they left distant shores. And you all know the distant shores that they left. They left distant shores to the promise of better things. One of the main reasons they left was because they wanted freedom to worship God. Freedom in their worship. This group of people from differing nationalities, from differing walks of life, people with different giftings and with different skills came together with a common goal with one purpose, and said these words, we're not going to take this anymore. They wanted freedom for themselves and for their families, and they were going to experience that. But in order to experience that, they realized that there was a cost, there was a sacrifice to that freedom, but they were willing to pay the price because they realized there had to be more to the life that they were living. There's actually a parallel story in the Bible, and I believe it's the story of Abram, that he was the first pilgrim. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, and let's read together. And it says these words, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and your father's house. Listen, historians tell us that when he is told to get out of his house, he lived in a nice house. He had all the comforts. He was comfortable in life. They were well off. He didn't want for anything. So it wasn't telling him to leave from a mess. It was telling him to leave something that was successful and something that was comfortable. And God says these words, Leave that and go to a land that I will show you. Here's a key part right here. God doesn't tell him the land. 
God doesn't say, get out of your comfort zone, get out of that great place and go to somewhere better because here's what it is. It's Hawaii or somewhere like that that he knew. Wow, come on. We can handle that. But I believe why we will see, or I will show you why I believe that God is not specific, but yet he only says to a land. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Stop for a moment before we go to the next verse. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that has to happen and take place before we can jump to verse 4. I'm sure it was intriguing to Abram that God had said, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be great. That, that appeared to his ego. I'm sure that appealed to him. Come on, if someone came up to you right now and said, leave your house and go to a land because you're going to be great, everyone's going to work, you're just going to be incredible. A lot of you would turn around and say, hey, yeah, that's me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But you know what? It was still a word that he could not sit back on. He had major decisions that he had to make. There were many things that he had to consider. Leaving all of this for what? Just a land. He didn't know what land. He didn't know what it was. It could have been sand and desert for all he knew. He had all the wealth. He had everything that he could ever possibly want. And God says, yeah, I'll make you great and all this. But yet the risk was, what do I gain? What do I have? So what would he do? Verse 4, so Abraham departed. He took off. He took a massive step of faith. You've got to see this. He took a massive step of faith and he trusted God. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. We've said this many times, but nothing is recorded in the Bible, I believe, by chance. It's all has a specific purpose. It is placed there for our benefit. Notice the Bible says the age of Abram when he leaves. 75 years old. Why would they bother to add that? That was a detail that didn't really matter. All God called him to do was leave. It didn't matter how old he was. But maybe it does matter. Because at the age of 75, He could have so easily just settled back and said, I've lived a good life. I've seen all the joys and the happiness. I can't really complain about what I have. He could have so easily found himself in a state of complacency, comfort, stability, hitting the cruise control, just cruising through life. But there's another word for complacency, and that is no vision. And the Bible clearly tells us that without a vision, the people perish. 
God was showing us the decisions and the thoughts that's going through Abram's mind. He's got to leave something that's great. He's of age where he could have just coasted through the rest of his life. He's lived a great life. But there was something that made him step back. Let's read on as we jump to verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. And he said to him these words. To your descendants... I will give what? This land. Now God is specific. He says first in verse 1, leave to a land that I will show you. Now God is specific and he says this land, which is the land of Cana. God says this is the land I am giving you. Pastor P, why wasn't God specific from the beginning? Why did God wait till Abram stepped out? Before he revealed that which was his promise. I believe this is the reason why. Because God first needs to to see if Abraham was the man for the job. Would he believe God? While having nothing of substance to hold on but just a promise, would he believe God? You see, many of us get this all backward. We want the what? Tangible goods and then we'll move. We want God to give us the blessings and then we'll start going to church. Come on, we want God to reward us and then we'll start paying our tithes. Come on, we want God to bless us and then we may start doing godly things and reaching out and touching. Come on, we want the tangible things. But can I tell you right now, God is looking for a people that will act in faith. It may step out of your comfort zone, but you know what? Elastic band never fulfills its potential until it's stretched. Some of us need to be stretched a little bit. Our faith needs to be put under pressure a little bit that we would step out of where we're at because we can get so comfortable. Things may not be great, but things have become normal to us. Come on. And we begin to accept things as they are. But come on, it's time that we make a stand and say, hold on a second. This is not what God's called me to. God's called me to greater and bigger things. I'm not talking about bigger homes. I'm not talking about bigger cars. I'm talking about a peace inside of your heart. I'm talking about a strength that only God can give. If he wants to give you a bigger house, great. If he wants to give you a better car, great. But you know what? That's not going to give you bigger peace. It's not going to give you bigger blessings. My grandfather used to say this, the bigger the car, the bigger the debt. The bigger the car means the bigger the note. You can have it shining all you want, but can I tell you something? Shining costs costs. God needed to see if Abram would act upon a promise and step out and leave everything he had, put everything on the line, his family, his goods, everything he had, just go to a land. I have to admit, God, you've got to be more specific. Come on, there's times in my life I've cried out and said, God, you've got to be a little bit more specific. Do I have a witness in the house? No matter how much I ask God, you know what? He's not at my beck and call. I'm at his beck and call. And all God reminds me is, do you trust me? Come on now, I've got someone in the house who's helping me this morning. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Come on, God's saying, will you trust me? Well, God, just give me a little bit and then I'll trust it. No, God's saying, 
Will you step out right where you are? You see, some of you right now are waiting for a miracle and God's saying, no, I'm waiting on you to find your miracle. Come on. Some of you are waiting for God to give you something and God says you haven't got there yet and you never will if you don't keep moving forward and you don't start stepping out and you don't start putting your hands in the air and saying, thank you, Jesus. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand the circumstances, but I'm going to take another step. I maybe don't have the strength to do it, but by faith, I'm going to keep stepping into the promises and the blessing of God. Come on, I'm preaching in this house this morning. We want the tangible stuff first. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. As he steps out in faith, as Abram takes a step of faith, God steps in. If you don't hear anything I've said today, that's a good thing to hear. As you take a step of faith, can I tell you, God steps into your existence. We've heard it said so many times, you take one step towards God, He'll take one step to you. Blur, that's a lie. He don't just take one step, He's just waiting for you to take that step of faith and He's right there. He's right there at that first step. I talked with someone on the phone this week and they're going through some issues and problems. And don't worry, it's no one in the church. So don't even think. I wonder who he's talking about. You don't know them. It's a friend of mine I know. He's going through problems with alcohol, problems in his relationship. He's talking to me and I said, well, here's your answer. He said, well, P, he said, you know... I don't want religion as my answer. I thought you maybe know a program. I said, well, you can have programs all you want, but you're going to be a lifetime member. Come on, they don't set you free. You can go to these things and it's great. I said, do you realize that AA is all about a higher power? Do you know who that higher power is? That's God. It's God. It's only God. I said, so you can turn to all those things all you want, but you're going to have to keep turning to them. There's only one that can set you free. So we're talking. He said, but P, he said, I don't know how to release stuff. He said, I'm not in that place like you. And I said, hold on a second. I'm in no place. I've just realized I'm no better than you, I said to him. Come on, I'm no better. A lot of times people think, if I could just get to them. Come on, we're no better than the next person. The only difference is we've learned the lesson of how to trust in God. We've learned what it is to give to God. And I said to him, they're no better than you. It's just the fact they've learned the secrets of God's words and to put it to work in your life. And he said, but P, he says, I can't. Release everything. I said, that's cool. I said, just let one finger go at a time. He said, you mean I can do that? I said, you can. I said, can I tell you something? I said, no matter how much you give to God, he can work with that. I said, just begin to release it one finger at a time. Can you see him? Hold him on. Just let that release and begin to go. I'm telling you right now, we may not get everywhere we need to be right in how we want. But as we take that step, God says, even if it's a little step, even if it's just one finger, God's right there at that one finger move. God's given us a taste of who he is for what? So we'll want more and we'll want more and we'll want more and we'll want more. Come on, you never come to the end of God. As you take the steps, there's more of God. There's more of him. There's more of him. Here's a good thought for you today. I'm full of thoughts today. Very thoughtful today. Why should God be totally specific to a people who are not willing to act upon his word? Let me say that one more time. Why would God be totally specific to a people who are not willing 
to act upon his word. Go to a land. As he steps out, God says, now let me show you the land. Because he saw that Abram was someone that he could trust. Some of you may say, why is God not being specific in my life? Just keeps taking some steps in faith. And God will begin to open up things that you never thought possible and show you things that you thought were behind your or beyond your wildest dreams. But that's just God. God appeared again to Abraham, or Abram. Why? Because he packed up and he moved out in faith. God spoke to him in his house and said, leave here. But God would have perhaps never spoken to him again if Abraham had not taken that step of faith. God appeared to him again, and verse 7 says, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. That's the first recorded day, I believe, of Thanksgiving. That he had a Thanksgiving celebration. That he thanked God. God, I took a big risk. But you know what you came through? You know faith is a risk step. It's a risk step. It's a step of faith. It's a risk when you don't see it. There's only a promise. It's a risk. But the enemy would tell you it's a risk you cannot afford to take. And God would tell you it's a step that you cannot afford not to take. The struggle against his decision to leave and trust God must have been immense. You know, the Bible just goes from verse 3, God said you're going to be blessed, and then he leaves. A lot of the time the Bible just kind of jumps, and that's good, but it doesn't really give us the thought, the, the struggles that was going through probably Abram at that time. He had to leave his family, his friends, none of them except Lot would understand probably why he was leaving. They questioned him. They probably told him, you've lost your mind. How many times have we perhaps been told that? You're you're crazy. You're foolish. Why would you give to your church? Why would you do this? Why go to church? Why trust God? Your husband's a jerk. Why are you trusting God to save him? I mean, why don't you just divorce him and move on? Come on. All the people around you telling you, just foolish to believe in that heebie-jeebie stuff. Come on. It's all foolishness. You know what? Sometimes people don't understand, and that's okay. Don't allow their lack of understanding to stop you from standing. Come on now. Take that step of faith. It sounds so familiar in our lives. Satan's lead tactic here is to make us begin to question God. But if you would read on in verse 8 and verse 9, the Bible says that Abram didn't stop. He moved on and he moved on and he moved on. He kept moving into the promises of God. He didn't just step into the side and God said, this is your land. And he said, thank you very much. I'm going to stay right here. He kept moving on and moving on and moving on. I'm here to tell you today, God's got greatness in store for you. If you won't sit still, but get up and move on. Aren't you glad in 1620 a group of people didn't sit around grumbling and complaining about how bad life was and only talked about how good it would be to to be free. But instead they made every necessary plan and preparation and they moved to the great unknown America. Come on, no more. We can't sit back any longer. It's time for us to enter the fullness of God. Look at the scripture, John 8 verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you, you shall be free indeed. A deed, the dictionary says, is a thing done or an act. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Therefore, a deed speaks of action or doing. So therefore, our freedom is made complete when we step out and we trust God. There's nothing to celebrate if there's nothing done. There's nothing to celebrate if there's nothing done. Thanksgiving Day of 1621 was only made possible because one year earlier, a group of people took a step, a massive step of faith. Yes, there were still many obstacles that they had to face in this new land. There were struggles that they had. In fact, many of them died and didn't make it through the first year. But we are here today. Because some did make it through. I'm tired of people talking about one day. It's like the fairy tale. Someday my prince will come. Who sang that? Whose song was that? Someday my prince will come. So all this is someday. We live in this fairy tale. One day, well, God's given me the promises. So maybe one day God will come through for me. Maybe one day. Come on. Maybe one day. It's always about maybe one day. One day we'll enter into the land of promise. But you know what? The Bible promises only us one day. The Bible promises only this day that we're living in. The Bible doesn't promise us tomorrow. The Bible says, I know who holds my tomorrow. But the Bible doesn't promise us tomorrow. We're only promised today. Come on, say with me, today. I hope tomorrow will come, but I don't know today if tomorrow's coming. But if it doesn't come, I'm going to be in heaven with the Lord. That's okay with me. I said, that's okay with me. If he wants to come back today, that's okay with me. I'm leaving for Georgia to drive the stuff up to Moldova. Well, not to Moldova, to Montgomery to take it. It's okay if God comes back today, then I don't have to drive eight hours in a car. So what have I got left? Think about today. I can't change yesterday. I've got a hope and trust for God tomorrow. But the only thing I'm left with is what? Today, not one day, not someday, or maybe, but I've got a promise of today. I've got a promise of today. So you know what, my today, I'm going to turn around and say, devil, no more. Miss Norma's paying attention. I like it, Miss Norma. That's what happens when you sit at the front. You get it quicker than Arnold and Dee who are sitting at the back. Enough is enough. You see, it's time, not maybe one day, when the circumstances and situations change, that today is the day of salvation. Today is your day of breakthrough. You may not see it, but you need to start stepping as you have it. You need to start realizing it's time that the decisions and the choices and the things I make today, come on, I'm not promised tomorrow and I can't change yesterday, but God's given me the opportunity to live today and to live, I'm going to. I could talk for hours, unfortunately, on the stagnant state of the church. How we've forgotten how to trust God. How we've forgotten how to have true faith in God. That we've become so comfortable in our nest that we've labeled as the church. Not wanting anything to rock the boat. Unfortunately, this Wednesday night, and I'll say this 
well, not really, unfortunately. Unfortunately for the person it happened to, but really fortunately for what we're trying. Something was stolen from someone here at the church on Wednesday night. You know what I heard from a lot of people? That's awful. I mean, that's awful in church. In church. You know what Megan said to me after church? Megan, you ready to give him what you said to me? Can you remember? Here's Megan. She's ready, folks. What did you say to me after church? It looks like we're attracting the right people. Looks like we're attracting the right people. I've talked this to our leadership for so long. If we're coming to a place where we're comfortable and we can leave our purses and our valuables and everything around, perhaps we're not targeting the right people that need to be in church. You go to the movies and what? If you go to get a drink or go to the restroom, you don't leave your purse on the seat. You go to the mall, you go to get some food and you reserve a table. You don't leave your thing on. And I know you may turn around and say, well, it's awful when you can't do that in church. Well, listen, we get too comfortable in a stagnant state. Maybe God needs to rock our world just a little bit. Because you know what? But for the grace of God, some of us would have stolen some stuff too until God came into our lives. And perhaps you did. Where's Jimmy Smiley? Is he here? Jimmy Smiley stole some stuff from me when I was a youth pastor. Can I tell you that? I'm calling you out, Jimmy Smiley. I sure am. Jimmy Smiley, Kayla's husband, just in case you don't know him, stole some stuff from me. That was before God got a hold of his life. Now he's stealing stuff for me. No, I'm only playing. I'm only playing. I'm only playing. I'm only playing. Some of the guys uh, with Jimmy and his buddies, they had my 12-inch speakers in the back of their car. They stole them out of the monitors on my platform and put them in their car. But you know what? Jimmy Smiley's now a leader in our church. I said, Jimmy Smiley's now a leader in our church. One day he stole from the church, but today he is given back to the church. Come on right now. As much as I regret for Claire and her phone was taken as sorry as I am as a church and as embarrassed as I am, you know what? That means that we're getting the right people in the house. That we're changing lives. The church has become so stagnant. Why is it stagnant? Because of lack of movement. Something is just stagnant because of the lack of movement. A lake can be stagnant. They put a fountain in it and circulates the water. And guess what? It moves. And what happens? It's not stagnant anymore. I have a book that's by a guy called Scott Wilson, who I know. And this book is entitled Training Tomorrow's Leaders. And in this book, he talks about how people back in the days when Jesus was walking on the earth had found themselves so caught up in the study of the law that their knowledge of it had become more important than the application of it. The knowledge of the law had become more important than doing it. So what did Jesus do? He rejected that method of thought. He criticized those who did not do what they knew to do. That was Jesus' biggest issue he faced was he didn't just look at the law. He talked about what these people need to be doing with that. And as a result, they fought him on that. Christ's model that we see in this world was doing that which we are called to do. And throughout the entire course of his life, that's specifically what he did. Doing, 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 doing. Look at Psalms 37, verse 23, beginning. It says, the steps of a good man 
are ordered of the Lord or established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Doesn't delight in him sitting back, rubbing his wounds and saying, woe is me, poor me, everything's falling around me, things aren't going good, the enemy's coming again. Oh no, they're coming to take again. It doesn't say that the Lord delights in that. The Lord delights in someone who's ordered, fulfills the order. When you get an order, it's something to do. If you're in the military, you wait for an order. It's a plan of attack. It's something that you're going to do. Come on, God's got a plan for every one of us, and that's to have faith and to trust Him no matter what. Notice again as who He delights in. God delights in our ways, our actions, in what we do. Verse 24, though He fall, oh, we're going to fall. We're not perfect, we're going to fall. He shall not Be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now I am old. But yet here's the conclusion that the author comes to. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed or his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and he lends and his descendants are blessed. His descendants are blessed. What does that say? His descendants can celebrate Thanksgiving Day too. Why? Because God is with them. Come on, the person in whom God delights is the one who follows God, who trusts Him and trusts Him to do the will that God has instructed for him. For God watches over and makes firm every step that that person takes. I don't know what to do. God says, stand. But God, what do I do next? Step. Where do I step? Just start stepping. Just start doing. Start being everything that God's word tells us. Come on, if we want biblical results, we need to start doing biblical things. If we want the blessings of God, we better start getting back to the blessings of God. We need to get back to his word. Come on, if you want God to direct your way, then you better seek his advice before you step out. Come on, let me say that one more time. If you want God to direct your way, oh, you know what? God's really let me down, Pastor Fee. He hasn't paid all these bills and everything. Did you really seek God before you bought that new car and you bought that new house? You're asking God to take care of things and debts that he did not even incur. It was your stupidity. It was your desires. It was your wants. But now you're blaming God. Hold on a second. If you want God to direct your ways, then stop and ask him to direct you the steps that you take in your life. I'm wore out. America is great today. America is a great nation today because a group of people took a step. We can celebrate Thanksgiving this week because people made a sacrifice and trusted God and stepped out in faith. My life and your life can be great too. How can my life be great if I take that same step? My husband's left me. Take a step. Doctors told me I've got cancer. Take a step. I haven't got money to pay the bills. Take a step. What are you talking about? Keep trusting God. Because we just read, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or his seed, his descendants, his children. You see, God's a multi-dimensional God. He talks about, I'm the God of Abraham. Multi-dimensional God. That means that he's worried about you and your children and your children's children. Come on, the decisions and the choices you're making are not just for your children, they're for your children's children. 
we've got to take that step of faith. No more! No more. Take that step. And God will direct you. How do you know God will direct you? Because he tells you Psalms 119 verse 105. What does he say? What does he say in 119, 105? My word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. As I close this morning, someone came to my office this week and said, Pastor P, I need the breakthrough. I just don't see it happening. I, I, need to, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can keep going. I use this illustration to him. When you drive in a car, you don't see what's two miles ahead of you. But you see what's in front of you to make the necessary adjustments. At nighttime, your headlights don't shine two miles ahead of you. But they shine a good enough distance in front of you that you can see the obstacles or make the adjustments that you need within time to be safe. But notice, if this is your headlights, how far they are, and this microphone is your vehicle, notice what happens when your vehicle moves forward. Your headlights go forward also. So what are you saying? If we want to see what's down the road, you know how we do it? One step at a time. Because as we take one step at a time, God will begin to illuminate those things as we keep going and keep going. You may just have the promise of a land. You don't know what it is. Just keep stepping. Keep stepping. You may need miracles in your life and you've just got a promise that God's your healer. Come on, just keep stepping. You may have financial needs in your life and all you've got is the promise that God says, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Just keep stepping. Keep trusting in Him. And can I tell you, as you go forward, He's going to begin to light up and illuminate blessings and things in your life that you never thought possible. But it takes a group of people that will turn around and say, no more. I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to trust God. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Hallelujah. Come on, if you receive that word, why not shout amen in the house? Come on, why not shout amen in the house? Come on, we can do better than that. Come on, no more. Come on, no more, devil. Come on, no more, devil. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. We're going to take a step. This nation is great because of a step. My life's going to be great because of a step that I'm going to take. I want to pray for you today. Just lift up your hands in this place. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this place. God, as I look out, I look out seeing greater needs than most people see because, God, I know the needs greater than most do. Because I get the emails, I get the calls, I have the counseling sessions. I see the marriages that need a miracle. I see the families that need breakthroughs. I see the financial miracles that's needed. I just see that that person that just needs to fill the arms of Jesus all around him. I see all those things today. But God, I thank you today that the answer is the same. And that is this, that we say no more. Devil, you've messed with me for long enough. I'm tired of just believing your lies. I'm tired of questioning my answer. I'm tired of questioning God. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 
1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.